Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Can I Kick It FC. Um, before we begin, this is a previous episode that we recorded maybe a year ago that just never got released. So we're releasing it today. Um, we pretty much talk about the history of kids, how to design. Um, we hear from Grego from For the Culture. You hear from L from Two Cents FC. Rocks from uh, Chop Soccer. Um, so it's a great conversation. Just sit back and enjoy it. Also. Uh, this is the end of season three. Uh, we just want to say thank you to everyone that took the time to come on our show, uh, for all the listens, for everyone that's engaged with our content. We want to say thank you. Uh, we truly couldn't do this without you. So with that being said, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you listen to past me talking to past them <laughs> and hope you guys enjoy the episode. So holler you guys later. As always, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Can I Kick It FC. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Welcome to the latest episode of Can I Kick It? This is your host, as always, Elliot Barr, and is joining me are, I would say, five of the greatest minds when it comes to soccer designs out there. If I had to say so myself, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because, one, I'm horrible with names. Two, these guys have great personalities that they need to talk about for themselves. So I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to let them explain for themselves. I guess I'll go first. I'm Kyle Carr. I am one of the co-hosts for Forwards Backwards, Ford Madison Podcast. I'm the co-founder of Featherstone Flamingos, a black supported group for Ford Madison. All right. Next. My, my name is L. Johnson. I am the co-founder of Two Cents Sports, also co-host of Two Cents FC with my boy Moby Akugo. Um, happy to be here, man. All right. Leave it down to you two guys. Who's going first? Big rocks. What's happening, y'all? It's your boy, Rocks Valentini. I'm the founder of Apollo Culture Club and one-third of Chop Soccer Podcast. Happy to be here with y'all. I'm looking forward to getting into some good vibes. All right. All right. I can't see in these glasses, so hang on real quick. All right. Uh, Why you glasses? You can't see them, though. No, it's it's the glare, man. It's the glare, but um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's Yogi's favorite friend, Grego from the Horticulture Podcast, uh, the long lost member of the Red River Army, Red Army Supporters Group. I'm all over the place in Atlanta, chilling, drinking. What's up? So that's who we have on the panel tonight. Um, also we're doing our first ever live podcast, so. You're experiencing everything with us. So if you got any questions or hear anything that's interesting that through the podcast, please, please, please put it in the chat and we'll try to answer it during tonight's show. Um, as you can also tell, we're also wearing one of our favorite, our favorite jerseys. For me, for instance, I have on the Heritage Night kit from the Richmond Kickers. Um, you guys want to go through what jerseys you got on? Well, I got on the Arsenal kit. I believe it's from... 2012 yeah, 2012 sounds about right somewhere around there 2012 2014 um <laughs> i think it's one of the most slept on kits um that arsenal released it was a away kit 
Um, I think next to, I would say next to the bruised banana, this is probably like one of the hardest ones in my opinion. So. Okay. Okay. And I got on the drip kit for Ford Madison FC. Um, they released it last year. And, you know, out of all the kits that Ford Madison has released in their short time, this is easily the best one that they've made. So, okay, real quick. I got a question about this drip kit. Was the drip kit designed to be like an extra kit for y'all? And y'all just made a y'all away jersey? Or was it an away jersey that y'all said was an extra kit? That y'all was like, oh, it's an extra kit. So it would have been the third kit that they would have used for the open cup and probably any friendlies that they had, but because of Rona, they just decided to rock it as the home kit. And honestly, they should just stick with this as the home kit moving forward. Yeah, maybe not that in the lines. USL's not gonna allow it, but <laughs> <laughs> um Greg Rocks. Uh I'm I'm wearing the Netherlands uh Euro twenty twenty kit just came out uh last year. Um uh, yeah, like I I've been waiting for this to come out for a while and uh, as soon as it came out it's like yeah that's an instant cop so here you go all right all right it rocks with you my man what you got on i got on um a fictional team so this is big apple united representing for new york you know what i mean uh i don't know if you can see here in the patch i'll try to get that detail in there but it's okay. got uh, girls in there too oh the apple. and then uh you know neymar vibes the puma king and uh, I love this jersey because you cannot get it in the U.S. I had to, like, work work the network to pull this one in. So I got it. Here it is. I love it. It's dope. It's unique. It's Rock Spontane type vibe. You know what I mean? All right. So we got this. It, it should be a team. It should be a team. <laughs> should be. Should be. Um, so all of us were in different kids because we saw the conversation on Twitter. I think L was the main one leading it. And Grego talking about the newest Atlanta United kid that looked like a training top. So the idea about um, soccer marketing when it comes to jerseys, how does that, how does soccer jerseys kind of break its way into the hip hop culture and black communities? But then also, how is soccer jerseys and soccer itself being implemented into the black community? So I guess we'll kind of just start off with that. If anyone want to take it from there. Let you kick it off, L. Oh, put me on the spot. All right. Um, in terms of soccer kids being introduced into the black community, I think um, I think it's really starting with like the brands, right? So last year, I believe we saw um, was it last year before last um, when Puma was doing a big campaign, they had like Meek, they had a couple other guys um, who were also signed to Puma wearing the kits. So wearing the Arsenal kits, wearing the other um, kits from other Puma teams. And kind of like helping to drip that into the black community, drip that into the hip hop community. Um, I feel like that's a way that brands are kind of, you know, starting to integrate it into the community. Cause you know, we make things cool, right? You know, our culture is popular culture. So um, they're looking for ways to kind of, you know, penetrate and make things cooler. Um, and I feel like that's one way that they've uh, begun to do that. Yeah, I think also the one thing that pops in my head is the 2018 Nigeria World Cup kit that came out. I think that was one of the first ones that it featured black people wearing it. It looked cool. It was out of stock in high demand within seconds. Like you couldn't get that anywhere for the first month if you tried. So I think that was kind of the first one that pops into my head in terms of how it was advertised, how it was marketed, how everybody wanted to get that specific kit. 
and it was for a team in Africa. So I think that's, I think that's really why, to me, why I think that's when it started marketing to black, black culture is you're seeing black people for a black country wearing it. Yeah, that's very true. That Nigeria kit, man, I remember when it came out and all my friends that won't even like soccer supporters or anything were hitting me up. was like, yo, do you know where I can get this kit from? Do you know where I can get this kit from? And the coolest thing about that jersey was it wasn't even the design of the jersey. It was like all the other things that came with it, like the warm-up jacket, the pants. Man, that, that, that's a beautiful jersey. Um, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let y'all two go next. No, I mean, I can go all the way back to like like the Fugees, like Wyclef and Prize uh, wearing wearing soccer jerseys and, and music videos, like going back to like the late nineties. But like, you like you, you've always kind of seen it, but I think like that like within the last decade, you saw uh, more more people just wearing it casually on the street. You know, whether it's something that's current or if they happen to have have like a ninety eight Brazil. Um, stash back some, somewhere. They just say, "Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and rock this." They they do that. Uh, definitely um, here in Atlanta with the Atlanta United um, getting hot the last few years, it's kind of taking a life of its own. Especially with uh, the the original home home kids, it's kind of you saw it everywhere from the Atlanta show to to just artists and celebs all over the place. And it's it's definitely just taking a life of its own as far as just helping soccer become part of the lexicon just in, in mass in this country, whether it's with black culture or just pop culture in general. Okay, okay. Rob, you got anything you want to add to that, my man? No, it's pretty much the same. Like y'all said, man, uh, we make things hotter. Um, the first person I can really remember making uh, jerseys visible in the street for me is uh, Pusha T. You know, he was doing a lot of soccer jerseys. And uh, I would I remember like looking up and like, yo, what the hell is that? And then I realized they were soccer shirts. And I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of hard. But it never really looked like that until I myself got into soccer. And then I realized what he was doing. I was like, yo, like he's really, really been out here just doing this just because with no, it wasn't even like he was a big soccer fan. He just liked the whole aesthetic of it. So, you know, coming from that standpoint, we need more of that um, specifically for us, people who are, um, I think jerseys are a great, great way to switch the entry point for soccer, right? Because if we're just trying to stat people heads off and all the tactics we know and the coaches and players, like half that stuff, most of the kids from the block can't even pronounce. So that's not going to be the draw for them. But if it's a style thing and they just like the way it looks and it feels for them, it gives them a type of mood. If we can push that forward, we'll get more people into the game as time evolves. So that, that's a great point. And I'm going to ask this question. Do you guys believe like, with our generation and with the younger generation, there's like two different entry points into how soccer is. Because mm-hmm. I would say for us, it's more of us like we have the access to watch it on all of these thousands of apps and everything else. But do you guys believe like the younger generation, the cooler and the more diverse the jersey is, that's kind of like the hooking point to get them in? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you just happen to see it like in in, in a store and it could just, it just catches your eye like you wouldn't know shit from anything as far as like what that team is and what and who's on that team all you see is like oh shit that 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 shit look dope and that that could easily just be your gateway like and for those who are familiar with like playing fifa and like so you can connect that to 
to actually be able to wear the same jerseys. It's like, oh, like I, I, it just all it does is just help continue, you know, bridge that gap that uh, and bring and building that awareness of, of the game. And it's it's definitely something that you you know if it if it pops, you know, eventually it's, it's going to be on the street. It's, it's just a matter of time. Okay. Okay. Anyone? Yeah, I I think I agree. Just because I would say with FIFA, especially like when you start looking at like FIFA 11, FIFA 12, 13, when Ultimate Team really started becoming a thing, mm-hmm. and you can pick, uh, you can pick a specific kit for your home and away. So you can look at any kit that is in that game, and I think that was one of the entry points. And then you look and you go into an Adidas outlet store, you go into a Nike outlet store, and then it's kind of like what Grego was saying. You walk around and you see something sitting there, it catches your eye. I think FIFA for our generation is kind of that entry point while for the younger ones, it is going to be more access to watching soccer via ESPN plus, you know, Peacock as crappy as that is at times, CBS all access. And then you see it further for them because they're watching it on a tablet or their phone. Yeah. That is something that it seems to be like that hooking book. Cause I remember growing up early two thousands, like seeing Nelly and, I'm trying to think who else everyone just blanked my head. But seeing Nelly like in basketball jerseys and stuff was like, oh, I like that jersey. <laughs> Who's that? But that's kind of was that hook, hooking point. So, I mean, when I got older, you know, I learned more about the game. But seeing that person, that celebrity in those jerseys was kind of the hooking point. So do you guys feel like soccer is kind of moving to that kind of that kind of era? Before they were kind of behind it, but do you guys feel like now they're kind of pushing it and being like, hey, let's bring in these hip hop artists you know, these influencers to kind of push soccer more in America? Yeah, I think um, like uh, Grego, like Grego mentioned and like, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, Um, FIFA is definitely going to be the hook that like makes um, soccer bigger in this country because, you know, kids are playing video games at a higher pace right now. Esports is at an all-time high. So, that's becoming like an avenue for kids to kind of get popular, get big. So they're going to, they're playing more games. And then FIFA being, it's being what it is, ultimate team being what it is, um, it's drawing more people into the game. So they, as they're learning the rules, understanding the rules of the game, it's making it easier for them to transition over into actually watching it on TV because they understand the game. So I feel like that'll be our big hook. And then the way that EA is marketing the game, you know, you know, they're adding cool factor to it. They're introducing us to, you know, Mbappe, Neymar, all the cool players. Um, they're putting, they're also blending in hip hop artists, the music that's in the game. So blending in hip hop into the game, UK hip hop, you know, American hip hop, um, just kind of tying everything together. I feel like that's going to be like kind of the catalyst for, you know, making it more popular and accessible in the United States. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone want to add anything? All right. So when it really comes to it, I really had you guys on here because I wanted to, you know, get you guys opinion because I feel you guys are leaders in the soccer community, definitely from a black perspective. But what more, what can be done to push push soccer in the black community? Definitely get it to a point where you're having more people of color in higher positions, but also What's like? What's the missing part of it? I guess what I'm trying to ask. Like, what's the thing that is like? Yeah, you could get like two, three people in, but it's not like they're sticking in in front of the launcher. They're like, eh, it's a cool thing to do. Yeah, I would say on this one, we need 
investment. We need marketing, right? So for me, the proof is already in the pudding. Prior to 2017, MLS had an excuse, right? They could say very easily, we're just not sure the market is there in the black community for us to invest in marketing to them. Then along came Grego and Atlanta United and the numbers speak for themselves, fam. 70,000 nights, bro, outselling the Falcons. That's black people because the way they market that game in Atlanta, it's on, it's the streetcar is wrapped in Atlanta United. You go to Killer Mike shop, they got Atlanta United there. You go anywhere in the city, Atlanta United. You go, you drive in the neighborhoods, people got the Atlanta United flag out in the street. Like there is a different type of uh, embracing of that team. And thus the whole game gets elevated in the hood. So um, all those pieces count, but it starts with marketing. I had a big argument with a friend of mine about this because she's worked in marketing for many years uh, with law and stuff like that. And she was just like, well, you know, it's kind of chicken or the egg. And I'm like, no, it's not chicken or the egg. This is how it works. This country knows very well how to market absolutely anything they want to. They want to sell you a car, they're going to sell you a car. Doesn't matter if it's a 50-year-old brand or a two-year-old brand. If they want to sell you sneakers, they're going to sell you sneakers. They do not want to sell a soccer. If they do it, people will come. When the advertising targets us, is designed for us, invites us, includes us, celebrates us, elevates us, we will get involved the same way we do with anything else. But the league doesn't do it because they're terrified of, they they know what the culture will become overall with, with, a, with a look like us. NFL, NBA, um, baseball even, to a much lesser degree in the modern era, but they all have or have had in the past very strong black presence. And that created a very specific dynamic and space for black culture within those games. Uh, obviously NBA and NFL are the top two there. Soccer has very, very traditional hundred year history roots, right? And a lot of people don't want that to change. They don't want to move away from singing the songs and doing the chants and uh, uh, tailgates in their specific way. Like they don't, they want that to stay just like that. The firms and the hooliganism and all that, they never want that to change. If we come, it's going to be different. It's going to look like Curtis and Footy Mob, where the tailgate got the DJ pumping, the marching band coming out. You got the fraternity bros out there. It's going to look different when Grego is doing it, when he's doing the number sets and he's got it plastered over everybody's shit. And, you know, it's, it's just a different sauce, man. And it don't look familiar to them and they don't want that to change. Marketing has to be the number one step. You sell the game to us, we will come. I mean, just to kind of uh, piggyback on that, because definitely I think what happened here is definitely not the norm anywhere. Um, I, I was fortunate. I, I used to live up in uh, up the D.C. area and um, I would look at what they were doing with D.C. United. And I think like other than like one event had it at Ben's Chili Bowl, D.C. United didn't really do a whole lot of marketing up in that area. Like you might be lucky you might get a. Um, a, a a billboard on a on a on a city bus or whatever, but other than that, like you didn't really see 
uh, DC United like at an abysmal level. So like they weren't really reaching white people, let alone us. So it's definitely something to where in a lot of cases, teams just have to just put put their put themselves out there. Like they can't just rely on okay, our team's good this year. People will come. Like it, it takes more than like you have to market. Like you have to just say hey win or lose we're marketing our team and like if you and then you take that message and then take it into our neighborhoods where, where we're at eventually just out of curiosity we'll, we'll come check it out and i think that i've seen like with with the, the new teams that have come since united i'm like some of have picked up that energy some haven't and like like you just have to just take that leap and say hey no matter how this works out, we're going to put ourselves out there and, you know, just by word of mouth and, and then also by the presentation that you put on the pitch, it, it'll eventually you keep you keep going at it. It'll come. And I think that too many teams are just scared to just whether it's just us or just having people, period. They, they're just like, like, we just want to just stay with our little bubble of, of supporters. I'm like, no, put yourselves out, there. put that voice out there, and the, the, the results will come. Kyle, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say in addition to marketing, um, you also have to have accessibility, right? So when it comes to basketball, football, you always see a kid in the hood with a football or, or a basketball, it's easy to pick it up and go play, right? But when it comes to soccer, it's not as easy in the inner city to just pick up a soccer ball and go play. Like it's not something we've been exposed to. Um, so shout out to like uh, programs like uh, soccer in the streets in Atlanta who are, you know, using the martyr stations to, to create small fields, small pitch fields to allow kids to kind of get introduced to the game. Um, I think we need more of that programming as well in these inner cities on top of the marketing. So like you see, the, you see, you see the professional level, you see where they can reach, but then you also see, all right, how can I get it in? How can I get in? What's the entry point? And they had that in their in their neighborhoods. Yeah, and I think to run it all up, I think you got to make black people feel like they're welcome there. You know, that was something that was mentioned during the playing for change panel at the ISC conference. But when you get there, most of the time, you're probably one of the few black people. I mean, like I said, Atlanta's going to be different. New York might be different. LA might be different. But, you know, when you're looking at Madison, when you look at even Minnesota, you look at other MLS teams, USL teams, NISA teams, there's not that many black people. And I think part of it is because they haven't felt welcome there to an extent. So I think having it be that you are, you, you're welcome there, you feel like you belong there, and people want you there. I think those are the things that I think will go a long ways just because – yeah, I mean, you might check it out for one game, but if you go for one game and you're like, this isn't for me, like, I don't know. No one wants me here. I stick out like a sore thumb. Like, no one wants – everyone's just using me as a token black guy. Then you're not going to want to come back. Definitely. Uh, just one last thing because I, I know, I'm not sure if it was Rox that had it or um, or Ben Goshorn. He's a um, lead supporter out in Charlotte. Um, we were having, like, calls, like, during, during the pandemic um, earlier last year. But um, the key thing there is just you got to be inviting to to want us to to be in there. It's one thing just like we just come up and you say like, hey, here's a T-shirt. Here's a here's a here's a beer. And, and that's it. Like you really have to just, you know, extend that that arm and say, hey, we want you to be a part of this. And, you know, hopefully, you know, like I said, just put yourselves out there. Say, hey, we want you a, a part of this. And either that person will take it or they won't. Like the, the worst thing they can happen is to just say no. And that's okay. You can deal with that. Just 
go ahead and put yourselves out there to say, hey, you want you want to be a part of this? We got we got we got a place for you here. If you do that much, hey, I think only good things can come from that. Okay. Um, and there was a point you guys made that I really want to dive into about um what does it look like when a soccer team markets to us directly? Like Gregor, I mean you could probably speak about it perfectly being in Atlanta. How is it when a soccer team markets to your community, your culture? How is it done in a way that doesn't come across as we just want you here to be the token black guy? They actually want you in that space because they want you to be there. How how, how does that look? I mean, it's weird because like, I, I still uh, go at the the front office, even to this day, I'm like, y'all could still do more as far as reaching out. Like, I, I it's, it's an open joke uh, with a lot of us that they don't do any marketing south of Highway 20. Like, so like if anybody who knows Atlantic knows that basically you have everything up north of 20 and south of 20. And there's really not too much uh, marketing south of 20. And, and they still have... A, a large black contingent, even despite that, and I think that, and that 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 goes to show you just the strength of what Atlanta is doing, and and uh and, and the presentation of their pro course at least up until last year because we we sucked last year, but um, uh, but I think that um, I think that with 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 any of that. It's just a matter of, okay, if, if I'm already in there, let me see if I can get somebody else in there like that, that that looks like me. And again, that goes back to just being inviting and just saying, hey, I see you. You know, you should be a part of this. You know, whether it was uh, me when I was from Resurgence or Curtis and Footy Mob and Reggie and Footy Mob or there uh, were Watson and uh, Turner's Legion. Like, you know, like we we found each other very quickly and and we're like, hey, let's 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 link up you know and, and try to bring as many people up in here as we can and um you know like, like i one of the things i look at when when in a, in a social media like hey i want to make sure that 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 black fans know that hey you're not alone because I, I i remember going to lot eight at a rfk and i you would see a sprinkled sprinkled in the mix but like for the most part you kind of just felt like you were just there and I think that making sure that you take the extra step and say, like, hey, like, I see you, like, you know, you know grab, grab a brew, like, you know, let, let's, let's chop it up. Let's, let's see, you know, like, like where you might fit up in this. And, you know, whether it's something where you're a capo, like Reggie McKee and Footy Mob, or if you just, you know, just doing like regular, like match day um, setup and everything, like, like, you never know, like, what, where you might fit in in that. But the, the important part is that, that you know that, that they know that hey, you're wanted, you're invited, like you are a part of this experience too, and only positive things can come from there. Okay. Um, I want to open it up to you guys as well. I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Um, what does it look like? Now, we you can just talk about your favorite soccer team as well, or whenever, whatever soccer community. But what does it look like when that soccer team marketed to you to bring you into a space that you know feels safe? It feels like you're wanted to be there. I think for us, it's having that supporter group, having Featherstone and, you know, Chris Fox, he was the one that was contributing to designing the away kit. He was the one that was out advertising, advertising the strip kit. Like he is in the video. Like, so I think for 
us in Madison, it was more they reach out to us. They want our input. They want our opinion. So I think for us, at least it showed it might not they might not hit the mark every time, but at least they're trying to and they're trying to do so in good faith 99% of the time. So I think that's how for us in Madison, you know, just having us involved and having us provide input. Okay. Uh, for me here in New York, you would think it would be pretty easy. You would think it would be second nature to do, but I can tell you from firsthand experience, New York City Football Club has ju done just about nothing uh, to market to us. And what I would say that a team could do anywhere in the country is number one, if you have, and I know every team does to one degree or another, if you have black fans, elevate them. That's number one, empower them. When I was president of TR in New York, I was everywhere, not for me, just to be seen so that other people could see me and say, hey, black person, visible, looks like me, talks like me, maybe I should check this out. Teams need to do that. They need to take you, Elliot, Richmond kickers, need to give you a budget and say, go work. They need to give Elliot a budget and say, go work. They need to give Greg and Curtis a budget and say, go work. They need to give L a budget for whatever team he choose and let him work, period. That's the only way it happens because we already know the ownership doesn't care, right? They only care about the dollars. If they can't see the dollars and plain numbers on a spreadsheet somewhere, they do not care. So that leaves it to employees and fans. And employees already got enough going on trying to live their black existence inside of a club, right? And then it's us. And then teams get funny about, oh, we don't want to blur the lines between fan and, and employee. Like it has nothing to do with that. Either you want to you want to do this the right way, you want to make it organic, you want to make it authentic, or you don't. And right now, teams do not. They can say whatever, they can tweet whatever, but until they start empowering the people who are already on the ground, who already put paces in, who already have work to show, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Put the money up. It's really that simple. It is. That's what it comes out to. L, anything you want to add, my man? Nah, man, they pretty much covered it. I think um, to kind of piggyback off what Rock said um, in terms of authenticity, I think that's something that Atlanta kind of did well in the beginning is tapping into the fabric of the city. Um, you know, everybody knows Atlanta is one of the hip hop capitals. So they, they tapped into that network, tapped into, you know, bringing Jeezy big boy to the game, two chains to the game, you know, to pound the spike in at the beginning of the game and kind of like, kind of made it cool to, to like soccer. It's like, all right, if big boy and Jeezy's rocking with soccer, like maybe I should try it out. Maybe I should, maybe I should check it out. I heard the game is lit. So I think tapping into that authenticity of the city, you know, not trying to pander, but being authentic in a way that embraces, you know, the the embraces the effect that hip hop has had on the city. Um, I think that was one way that they that they did it well. Okay, um, we got actually got our first uh, listener question comes from Elias Zach. I'm sorry if I put your name. Charged my mind, not my heart. Um, is there a difference in marketing to the African American community versus African immigrants? Yes. Hell yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's no diss. That's no shade. The shit is different. Period. Absolutely. Here's different. why. Here's why. This is the world's game. Everybody else already knows 
You don't need to convince them of anything. Black Americans don't know and they do not care. There's a reason for that though. The game has never been accessible to us really. It's never been marketed to us. So why should we care? And if I wanna, if I wanna make my career as an athlete, everything I've ever been shown is that the money is in the NFL and the NBA. So I'm shooting for one of those. That's it. Yeah. But whenever you whenever you give us access, whenever you give us opportunity, whenever marketing is done right and it's put in front of us and we are invited and welcome and, and given the tools to have the the tools necessary to contribute, we elevate. We elevate, we change the game every time. Every time. Pick a sport, pick a pick a brand, pick a whatever, pick a culture until we get there. It's different. I'm not saying better or worse. I'm saying it's different. When we come, it's different. So to answer that question, simple terms, yes, there is a huge difference, and that has to be specified. Yeah, definitely. Like, like me and Rox, we had this conversation like last year because, like, of course, uh, for people who know the New York area, like you have Africans, West Indians, like you have a huge um, black community, uh, not not just African American uh, in that city, and like you're not even appealing to the Yardies like that. You're not appealing to the Jamaicans and Trinities like that. Like, and they're not, and they're not fucking with the with with the product here. And it's like, like you have to figure out a way to like to get them because like there are this in most cases this is their first sport, so it's like. So you want to get those people who are already ingrained to go ahead and like soccer to deal with it. And like what it, it, there's we can go into a whole rabbit hole as far as why they don't vibe with the product here. But at the same time, you still have to market to them. Then also market to us. That's that that's grown and, and, and lived here for all our lives. But you, you, you have to, there's definitely a, a different flavor for, uh, for each community. But at the same time, you got to go for it. Just say like, hey, like we're I don't think any league, whether it's MLS, USL, NISA, all of them, none of them are in a space to where it's like, OK, like we can be content with what we have. There's always room to grow. And whether it's uh, no matter what community is like, hey, just go for it. It's like there's there's really nothing to lose. Just go for it. Question, who's the face of MLS? Is there a face? Mm. That is that that's problem? a very good question. That is a very good question. No, uh, and it should have been, been DeAndre Yedlin when he was here. I would slightly disagree. I feel like Jeremy Abobison. Just because of what he... Well, I would say just this past year for everything he did, kind of pushing the whole dialogue and the whole MLS is back with the Black Players Association... Also, uh, who was the player for the Red Bulls? Um, Tyler Adams? Not him. He was the president of the Black Players Association this year. I can't uh, think of his name. Jeff Demaro? Yes. Oh. Those two, I felt like, really, truly and surely, truly and surely could have been the face. Also, Jose, um, as Kurt uh, Magritte says, Jose is one. But I definitely felt like one of those three definitely could have been the face. But as you're right, there there isn't a clear face. No, it it's 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 so weird because uh especially like in Josie's case, uh same case with um 
with his team, Michael Bradley. They're in Canada, so it's like they're not really particularly visible to the American audience like that. Like I think, like uh, unless there's a away game, you don't really see too many Toronto FC home games here in the U.S. unless you're watching uh, uh, ESPN Plus. So, in a lot of cases. Like the way that the way MLS is covered, just in general, I, I think it's, it's ass backwards on a lot of levels. But I think that, especially ever since uh, Landon Donovan retired, they've been trying to find that face. And I think they they found like they found like Joseph Martinez here. They they found um, uh, Vela, uh, uh, Diego Valeri up in Portland. Like they they found like little faces here and there. But as far as like just actually, you know putting them out there like it's 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 been i'll say half ass at best like i think that uh there's definitely like you could use bill bill meet up in dc you can use uh sean johnson like there's there's definitely been faces that that people know it's just a matter of are those are those guys actually staying here long enough to where we can we can build our brand behind these guys mm-hmm. or else they're going to leave over to europe within two or three years like like how, do, how, do, how does that all all work? Um, it, it is definitely a tricky balance, but I think that uh, it is it, it's, it's tough in that situation because it's not like NFL or, or NBA where you know that hey, no matter what happens, LeBron standing in the NBA, he's not going to um, to play Italian ball. He's not doing that, and you have to f- figure out like okay, how can we make this work where. He, this guy might only be here for, you know, five years, and then he might dip. But you you know that hey, this guy is the best that MLS has to offer, you know, and that's whether it's someone from overseas or someone that's actually was born and developed here, like like Brendan Aronson. That's a guy that could have easily been a face of, of, of this league, this, but he's already gone, like before he's even twenty one. So again, it's, it's just a matter of like how you. How do you account for when that guy leaves? Like, what happens there? You know, I think it's kind of similar to baseball, where if you had to ask who the face of baseball is, who are you going to say? Mm. Judge. Judge, Trout. Uh, but, the, but the thing with Trout is, yeah. Trout ain't market, marketed yeah. Yeah, he's the like the He's the best player in the MLB, but he's not marketed like the best player he's out in west. the MLB. And I think MLS has that same problem. You think of who the best teams are. Maybe you'd think Seattle. You think LAFC. Mm-hmm. You think Atlanta. You think Toronto. But do other than, but you don't feel like they have the stars that get marketed and treated as such. Like NBA, you have LeBron. Even if LeBron retires, you can look. You still have Kevin Durant. You still have Zion Williamson. You still have Giannis. You still have Luka Doncic. You look at the NFL, you have Pat Mahomes, you have Lamar Jackson, you have guys that you can look and it's like, this is a generational talent. And unfortunately with MLS, there isn't anyone that you can consider like this guy is going to take the league by storm. This guy is going to have all the power in the world. This guy's going to want people to come to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the tough part with MLS. There isn't that one singular player, but there also isn't that one singular team that's establishing itself as a dynasty where you look like the Yankees, way for the last what two decades the Yankees were the team and Derek Jeter was the guy so therefore Derek Jeter was the face of baseball because he was the face of the baseball team right and it's just not like that in MLS part of it is because of how they have it structured but part of that is because MLS hasn't done enough 
to make it feel like this is the guy. Yeah, that's something that um, uh, I've said it for a while. Like parody in MLS is overrated because it, it because of the way it's set up, it doesn't really allow for that one super team to, for everyone to hate. Like you always have, whether it's the Yankees, whether it's the Patriots, whether it's the um, Celtics, whether it's the Heat. You know, when LeBron was there, like you always have like one team. You can like, always hate Chattanooga. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to have him for Chattanooga, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, you a always have Chattanooga. <laughs> but you always had that one team that's like you know, like I can't, I, I can't wait for us to beat that one team that and that everyone just hates. Like I think that in a lot of cases, people kind of saw that with us here in Atlanta. It was like they saw those those big crowds, they saw all all the merch everywhere. It's like I can't stand how they how they just all over the place. And but then of course we went to shit last year, so we'll see how things go this year. But I think that you need that. That plays a part into the marketing too. It's like you know, like hey, let's let let's go see LA Galaxy and like and and their big star, and they're always on top every year, and then suddenly they're not. Like that kind of just that interrupts what MLS is trying to build. Like you have to kind of find a happy medium to where teams can can stand out on their own, and but at the same time, it's still open for everyone to still have a chance. Like you. It, granted, it's, part of it is because the league is still young, but at the same time, you want to go ahead and put that that foundation right now. It's like, like hey, we if LA is on LA Galaxy is on TV, everyone's going to see it. If Atlanta United is on TV, everyone's going to see it. If it's NYCFC, everyone's going to want to see them. Like those are things that you want to have happen. Of course, that of course that that comes with championships and all that will come with time. But you want to go ahead and start putting that foundation in as soon as possible. Yeah, I also say that we could also play some blames on the brands as well. So, for example, um, you see the way Weston McKinney is blowing it up, right? Why isn't Adidas throwing money at this man, making him the face of American soccer? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's things like that that are also dropping the ball and making it harder for um, us to get into the sport because we're not seeing that LeBron figure that looks like us, that's balling out, whether it be domestically or overseas. Um, We're not seeing that in front of us. You know, like we see a Neymar, but like, how much do we connect with with Neymar? Like, he's foreign, right? Like, he may have African heritage, but he's Brazilian. He's not American. Same thing with Mbappe. He's French. Like, so it's it's harder to kind of relate to somebody who's foreign versus somebody who's domestic. I think Adidas should be throwing. I think Weston McKinney should be on front of every Adidas campaign, every box, every Wheaties box, whatever they can do to get this man to the forefront. He's playing with. Cristiano Ronaldo in a top league in Europe at Juventus, you know, starting pretty regularly. Like, there's no reason why they shouldn't throw marketing dollars behind him. So I'm going to ask a question. I might ruffle some feathers, but it is what it is. If you got an issue with it, don't tweet me about it. Ask me in person. Um, (laughs) When it comes to a player like Weston McKinney, do you feel like soccer – how can I say this? Soccer authorities here in America don't want to put a player like Weston McKinney on front street? Because they're trying to push other players like Christian Pulisic or you know Jeff Sargent, I mean Josh Sargent, things like that. Do you feel like you know it, it's a color bias almost? Do you kind of feel like it's kind of of, of that? Whereas Weston McKinney was white and he was doing all these things. Oh, he would have been you. You would have seen his face all over FIFA and everything else. Or oh, yeah. something look different. Here, look here, Gaslighter. Um, <laughs> but. You know, it, it it's it's tough because 
you're dealing with a far bigger market, especially when it comes to soccer, as compared to the NBA, where you know that no matter what, they're they're focusing on home here in the U.S. Um, and granted, he signed to Adidas. He's on a top Adidas team with uh, with Juventus, of course, the biggest team in 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 Italy, one of the biggest in Europe, and. I'm not sure if if Adidas really knows how to you know market players individually. Like I, I like I think if it's not messy, they don't know what to do. Uh, like if it's it's either messy or Pogba, and that's pretty much it. So I'm not sure if they even know what they have on their hands with a player like uh, Weston Kenny. It's 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 tough, but I definitely think that of course Nike, they have Pulisic, they have him on a Nike team with Chelsea, and they're like, hey, we know what to do with this. We're like saying we're gonna they're not even pumping Pulisic like that though. They, no, they were they were last year. Well, at least until the um, pandemic. But they they knew that hey, this is a guy that um, we need to get on TV. So whether it was with when he was still with um, Borussia Dortmund, you you saw more Dortmund games on on Fox. When he went to Chelsea, you uh, NBC ha- had as many games as they could with um, when Pulisic was in line and say hey, we we're going to get have these guys on 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 our TV, and uh, I think that. In a lot of cases, uh, it it comes down to that brand knowing what to do with uh, with that particular player. Of course, we 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 all know about MLS's deal with with uh, MLS, and we we can find about thirty different reasons as far as like they're not even doing a good job as far as what's actually here. So you can only imagine what they're trying to what they would do with players who aren't playing in MLS. So kind of like you're, you're kind of burning the candle at both ends. Like you're, you're kind of damned if you do damn if you don't. But I, I think that a, a smart, a smart marketing team would, would take full advantage of the fact that you have a top American player on a top European team in, in, in your, in your brand, but not everybody knows how to do that. It comes down to a few things. Christian Pulisic is white. So he gets the white savior complex. And everyone immediately does it, even when we clown him on GQ. He's playing for a Premier League team, one of the top, one of the most well-known Premier League teams in the world. So he has those two things going for him. Even if you had to try and think of, if you ask a casual American soccer fan, I'm saying casual, who's the second player they say? They're probably going to go with Gio Reyna. Yeah. Because still passes, he's still white. He's playing for a team that the majority of casual white soccer fans know in Borussia Dortmund because you have the Bundesliga, which I would say is the second most popular European league behind the Premier League. So you combine those two things. That's why those guys are probably going to get more of that attention, more of that marketing. Tyler Adams, I think most people would argue, like most American soccer fans would say Tyler Adams might be one of the most impactful players that the U.S. currently have maybe behind Pulisic and Weston McKinney, but it he's rarely talked about. He's rarely marketed, and he's still playing for a top league. And while Leipzig might not be a top team of the stature of Chelsea or Juventus or Borussia Dortmund, he's still playing regularly in the Champions League. He's still one of the guys. So I think it's just kind of that combination where for McKinney, yes, he's playing on Juventus, but how many American soccer, casual American soccer fans are really following Serie A? 
Yeah. Maybe that's going to start growing more as it's on ESPN plus and more people have ESPN plus, but there's still a lot of catching up. It's something that Adidas can also work on as well. But I think it's just one of those things. Cause I feel like if Weston McKinney was playing at Manchester United, that's an Adidas team right there. They would promote the living hell out of it on NBC. Shoot no end. <laughs> I want to shift it because we've been talking about a lot about the men's game. Um, Block 49 on Twitter definitely gave a great suggestion about like Crystal Dunn. Um, but when it comes to – I'm going to speak mostly about the U.S. women's national team. Why don't we see more – I'm going to ask two questions. Why don't we see more people of color in the women's game get promoted and why also is it seem like every black woman that's a great striker or a great attacking man or a great winger, they get shifted back into a defensive role? I swear, if they put Katarina Macario as a defender, I might have to fly on and fight Vladko myself. Just going to say that. I think that's what might be yours, L. Yogi brought up <laughs> that black defender theory we got. Um, but, Rock, you about to say something? I was going to say um... – it comes down to a couple of the key points we just discussed. So one, we were talking about how you need to be like, it's preferable for an attacking player, right? To be on and popping in great form, scoring goals, and then a white face, those two things together is something that's easy to market, right? So it all comes back to money. It's, it's all about how do we generate more money? And when these people are looking at like, who do we want to, put marketing dollars into so we can get return on that investment, they're looking at who the kids are looking at. So this is already a suburban game. Little white girls and little white boys going to these uh, private clubs where they are spending two, $3,000 a season to play. And they're competing. And that's, the, that's your only real pipeline to the pro game. So those kids, they look at a picture of Tyler Adams or a picture of Christian Pulisic they want to be Christian Pulisic, right? So with the women, it's the same thing. You got Rapino, uh, Heath. Um, Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan, Kristen Press. She's black, but she's light as hell. So the all these women attacking, scoring goals, making it look fun, making it look easy. Rose Lavelle, right? I might catch some heat for this, but it oh. was not until the World Cup that I realized that Christian Press Kristen Press was black. When she made the tweet, it, was, it wasn't I'll until stop. she said it that I realized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but listen, it's it was weird. I think we all had that same moment. But when I thought about it, I was like, that was a brilliant play by her. Because if she had said it before, it wouldn't have been the same. We can promise you that. We can promise you that. They let her rock because there was no like. She was palatable, right? It was easy. She was the one that wasn't really going to kick up a fuss. So that's why we have this difficulty when we, uh, Donald is in here saying Dunn, Press, McDonald, Smith, Purse, Macario Williams, and Rodman Pinto coming. Yes, they're all coming, but they're coming with blackness specific, right? Which is fine. That's what they're supposed to do, but that's going to make it difficult for them in the same way it has been for everybody else when it comes to this marketing and getting the shine that they deserve as players. The best we're seeing right now is Zierra King. She's getting all the love, all the hype she deserves and more. And we need that for all of these incredible players. But like you're saying, Crystal Dunn needs to be the face of the U.S. women's national team. By far the most incredible 
woman talent we've seen on this team ever. She can play anywhere on the field and bust your ass from that position. It's unbelievable. Oh, and it's God. like, there's, there's nothing you can say that can take away anything from her. You can't say she's not technical. You can't say she's slow. You can't say she's whatever, right? She can do literally anything on it. You could probably play her at keeper and she would still bust your ass, which is just insanity, right? But that's, that's more of like, we need to change that too, because this is more of black people have to be 10 times better and do 30 times what everybody else does to get even a 10th of the recognition that you can get just for being a, a solid midfielder, a reliable midfielder. Like, come on, bro. This woman is out here changing the game and she's not getting the advertising endorsements or whatever that she should have. The way they're elevating Pino is the way they should be elevating uh, Crystal Dunn, period. It is, it is weird because uh, I think people don't, either haven't looked up her resume of like she was a MVP in the NWSL as a striker. So like, I don't, I don't know too many. Um, you players. can learn more about her on one of our episodes of can I kick it? We did a whole episode on crystal. Dunn. <laughs> Check it out. But um, you have women like her, you have uh, Mitch purse, you know, who uh, grew up as a striker and, I think at, at the last uh, call up, they've they've talked about moving her to um right right back, and I'm like, I get it, you know, we're we are athletic, we're strong, we're all those buzzwords that they, that we often give um, black players, but like Rock said, like like we have players that can like really bust your ass constantly, and I think that for for. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons in general why one they're not marketing women period uh, on the national team, but especially the the black women like you have your black women are, are arguably the the most talented players on the roster. It's not even an argument with Rachel Dunn like she is easily the most and probably the most important player that you have on that team right now because she can cover so many so many sp uh, spaces on on that roster and. I think that, that that goes without promotion, that goes without, you know, much recognition. And, like, I, I've definitely noticed, like, in the past few months, like, you know, you have people that are, like, basically going out of their way to make sure that Crystal Dunn gets her flowers because she deserves it. She's earned that shit. And I think that, you know, whether it's us here as men on, on, on this particular podcast or just anywhere, period. Like you got to recognize, you know, when these women are out there putting that work. And I think that, uh, Crystal Dunn doesn't get nearly the amount of uh, recognition that she, that she deserves. I hope that with her move to Portland, they put her back up front and uh, wreck shit. Cause she's done this before and done it well. And hopefully, uh, no nobody gets in her way. But with the way U.S. soccer is, you never know. But I, I think that there's a lot of it's a lot of elements in play as far as why the right women don't don't get the proper shine. Uh, but uh, but definitely, like we we all we all at least individually, whether it's through our media, whether it's through our social media, we can make sure to hey let people know. This is somebody that, that needs to be doing that, sh doing that shit. And 
hopefully with the um, with the with the new girl uh, Katarina Macarino, it's the same it's the same case with her. Cause, like she's already going over to Leon. I'm like, you need to make sure that even though she's over in France, people need to know uh, uh, about her. Yeah, facts about that. Facts. Um, Kyle, I got a question for you, man. Since you know me and you are probably one of three lower division soccer fans, well, black fans. <laughs> you know, it's not a lot of us. There's also April. There's also April. And Chris. <laughs> April, you're right, you're right. That's what I'm saying. It's three. It's three of us. That's the three. Oh, Chris, over Okay, four. We got four. A strong four. You go play it like space. We got four in a possum. Um, but Kyle, let me ask you this, man. When it comes to your club, Ford Madison, how is it that club is able to be in a place like Wisconsin, which I'm not going to lie to you, I was shocked as hell to see black people in those stands that first game. I was shocked. How is it a club like Forward Madison is able to pretty much come onto the scene and make not only the game accessible to the black community, but also make it feel like it's a safe space at the same time? I think it's a combo of the club actually putting in the work to get involved in the community, but also the supported groups making sure that any black fans and hell any person of color any woman any woman anyone with disabilities to make them feel as welcome as possible in any way shape or form i think it was those two things so as much the club does definitely does what it needs to to try and go out to the community but i think it's also on the supporters to make sure that they go out and they identify people and they make them feel welcome you know some of the things that we tried doing is having a all women's capital stand. One of the things that I always wanted to want is for each supporter group between Labara, between Mingle Ladies, between Featherstone, Ford Union. We're going to have a new supporter group coming up in a few weeks, hopefully. But to have them represented on that capital stand, for example, so that that's someone that you see, you see them and you hear them. So, and I think it's just like I said, it comes down to the club, but it really comes down to supporters. If the supporters are going to put in that work and the supporters are going to put in that effort, then you're going to see those results. And I think that's more of a testament to what we've been able to do at the flock. We can always do more. We can always do better, but it's at least a start that I think a lot of lower league clubs should approach as well as having their supporter groups make sure that they honestly and put in the good faith to reach out to their black supporters in to the black people in their respective cities chattanooga is a lost cause so they're out but every usl club every nisa club every npsl there's no excuse you have black people in your city you have black people that could be interested you just got to go out and reach out to them any anything you guys want to add to that I I think that in in too many cases, I think that you have a lot lot of teams that who who are complacent with with their fan base. And I wish we had um, our guys up in Chicago, uh, Jake and Phil uh, from Blackfires. They can kind of attest to that. I I think that you have you have teams like who have been around for for 20, 25 years. And like it's like they're just okay with that with that bubble say, Hey, these guys are going to always come and Hey, we're good with that. I'm like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there, there is, 
plenty of room to grow for pretty much every team at every level. And I think that you have to push these teams to do more because I mean, we, we've talked offline before, Yogi, like you have teams that they are relying on the supporters to bring more, to bring more fans. And I'm like, no, like that if at best, that's a, that's a joint effort. And, you know, like you gotta, the team has to give reason for people to come to as much as the supporters are say like, Hey, come fuck with our vibe. Like, you know, come check us out. Like there's definitely a synergy with that, with with that effort. And if you are over relying on one, on, on one entity to bring that in at some point they're, they're going to feel you know disrespected and abused and they're going to be like nah like we good like y'all keep y'all keep doing us dirty and and um and not really appreciating what we're doing and who wants to be who wants to be part of that type of relationship yeah definitely facts with that man i mean <clears throat> i'm not trying to interject my own personal thoughts into this i really want you guys to speak on it because you guys are kind of the leaders of it. Um, but being here in Richmond, I always have to I always ask myself, you know, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I am I help pushing the game in the community in the right way? And I, I find myself sometimes making sure I I don't fall into the category of being the token black guy for the kickers. You know, being that person they could just pop up and be like, we got a black guy. Like I'm a rare Pokemon or some shit, you know. But just making sure that, you know, not only am I being a visible face, because I wanted to be a safe face. Because when I got into the game, there was two other black guys, my co-host Shanir and his other other guy, Charles. That's it. So it's, it's really about, you know, when I came into it, I wanted to make sure that each year, if we do gain a new person of color, that if that it feels like a safe space for them. But I also didn't want to, teeter that line of being the token black guy, but also not being the angry black guy. So, and I'm going to ask this question, you guys, you guys feel free to answer it. Um, How do you kind of manage those hats of, you know, when you got to get stuff done, but not wanting to come across as the angry black guy, but then also like parading and showing off why you love the team you support, but then not coming across as the token black guy, or, or as we like to call it, the Uncle Tom. I will let Rockstar on that one. <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I guess I could take this one because uh, for those who are unaware, uh, I spent two and a half years as president of the Third Rail, which is the first and largest uh, supporters club for New York City Football Club. So in that time, um, I spent a lot of time doing exactly that. Now, the, the thing for me is I'm totally okay being the angry black guy when I need to be. Uh, that's why I ended up leaving, to be honest, is because uh, people understood how serious I took everything and not just for the sake of soccer, but for the shit I was trying to do, right? My vision was way bigger than kicking the fucking ball in Yankee Stadium. Like that shit was the last thing on my mind. I was trying to change culture, right? And um, I think it's something that we have to, be okay with doing because the alternative is we get taken advantage of over and over and over and over again right like i said they need to put a budget behind you 
because without you, what else do they have? We always talk about growing the game, growing the game, growing the game. How? Where? Where? So if we're going to actually do that, invest in it, prove it, do the legwork, right? We see, at least me personally, I see people who I had a conversation today. People are working in the club, trying to make shit happen. And they're like, yeah, we support you. Go ahead and do it. And all they do is say you can do it. They don't give them anything. There's no budget for it. There's no marketing for it. There's no, you know, the series of emails that they send out for everything else. You don't get that. You get one email the day before. Be like, oh, don't forget we're doing this tomorrow. Please come. And that's it. That's not support. That's hanging people out to dry. That's that's setting them up for failure. That's leaving them with no budget, no room to really, really work and saying, figure it out. And then if they do figure it out and they're successful with it, then you just take it and you co-opt it and you change it. So we have no choice but to pick those spaces where we have to say, look, I'm angry right now. And here's why. I've given you X, Y, and Z. I Look, I don't need nobody to ever congratulate me or tell me what I did for NYCFC. I know what the fuck I did, period. You have whatever feeling you want about me, but I know what I did. I know what I changed. I know how many people I went out one-to-one and brought to that stadium on my own dollar. So the team in turn, not for me, but for people who look like me, the team in turn needs to go out and reciprocate and say, hey, I saw, I know I watched him do some really cool things. Like how can we shape that and like elevate that, bring some more people in like him or different from him or whatever, but just more people so we can actually grow this thing. Yankee Stadium is at 161st Street in the Bronx. One block over in any direction, 10 blocks over in any direction, it's all black and Hispanic. And they don't come. They outside the park, in the park next to the stadium on game day hooping. I personally went in that park and handing out tickets to kids. I said, hey, can you make it to the game today? What? What game? They don't even know. It's cars everywhere. (laughs) You know what I mean? They don't even know it's a damn soccer game happening in the stadium. That's right next to them. I say, hey, there's a soccer game happening. You ever been to a soccer game? No, never. Look, no no strings attached, man. I see you. I'm a black man. My best friends grew up here. I grew up in Harlem right over the bridge. I got two tickets for you. If you can come, they're yours right now. Just come and just chill. And they did it. I've done that many a day. The team don't do that. I went out and talked to the kids that was uh, riding bikes in the skate park or skateboarding. Those kids too. You need to go get culture, man. All this, everybody knows soccer is for everybody. It's open to everybody. But that's if you find them. Who's going out to get people to bring them in? So you don't need to balance. That's not your job. It's your job to be who you are. It's your job to elevate yourself and follow your path and execute your vision. It's their job to support you in doing that. Because without you, they have nothing else, period. The Donald Wines of this world, the Gregos, Kyles, Els, Roxas, um, who are Curtis, elevate them. And not for profit. Elevate them. Because that profit will come when you just let them work. Let them do fly shit. Let them change the culture. And you will get everything you're looking for on the back end. 
more than you're looking for. I feel like I need to play some running collection play after that, man. God damn. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's weird because like, you know, I, I have my my fair share of shit too when um when when I was in, involved in porter culture um, um by and large and it's it's a in a lot of cases a thankless job in general is even more so when you're a black person doing doing that work and I think that especially when you're trying to get a supporters group off the ground there's definitely uh an element of where you're dealing with people who don't, who might not necessarily know you, you know, to the core and they're seeing what you do and you're like, and they're thinking, you know, is this person trying to take over and make this about him or is he really trying to make this, make this about um, the group? And I think that's, that, that insecurity can be, can come from anywhere. And especially when you're dealing with uh, people who are in leadership who are, you know, supposedly trying to grow grow that ship with you. Um, there's definitely a lot of trust that's needed. And if it ain't there, then there's no telling like where all that might go. Um, but uh, I know that I've talked to Rocks, I've talked to Cal, I've talked to L, I've talked to, to you, Yogi, as far as like what you guys bring to that, uh, bringing that brought to your particular team, supporter culture, past and present. And, you know, it's, it's definitely something to where if nothing else, if it's not you, you need to make sure somebody else is there to, to carry that work. And cause the last thing that you want is for once you go, there's nobody else that looks like you to take, to take that, to take that wheel. And, because it's very easily what what started as as a one one thing ended up totally something else. Like I, I um I actually had an um uh episode with uh with Curtis from Footy Mob, Curtis and Reggie um Footy Mob, and we were talking about like how the the Footy Mob that started like back in 2015 before anything got started was a different um Footy Mob from I think that was like 2019. 2019 when we had the, the had the interview and i'm pretty sure two years later it's, it's, it's an even different um version and you know you like you have to account for that adjustment but at the same time you want to try to maintain the the focused identity of what of what you want to do sometimes you can do that sometimes you can't but i think that as long as we are in uh, the dynamic you should you you won't far, fall far, no, won't fall too far away from that, and and hopefully you you have people that that are that are in this with you that believe in the same shit that want to do the same shit, and and can can carry can carry that that load because not everybody can, not everybody knows how to how to lead in in that type of environment. Some people were just hey, I just want to get my beer and, and have and have a good time. Some people want to want to get into those details and and realize that hey, there there's actual work behind this shit, and you know, hopefully, you know, as we get older and a little bit grayer in the beard and everything, you know, you you find people in in, the, in that process that 
that have that same energy as you, that want to do that same things as you. And hopefully you all get there. Yeah, I guess what I can say is just be yourself. And if someone wants to say you're the angry black guy, so be it. But as long as you're authentically you, people can make up their own mind on that. But if you stay who you are, they're going to at least know what they're going to get when approaching you, when talking to you, when working with you. So I, I think that's something that we, I know myself, Chris, April with Featherstone, we're just ourselves. We're ourselves in a, you know, at the stadium. We're ourselves if we're doing a virtual watch party. We're ourselves in a board meeting. Like it, we're just authentic, authentically who we are. Like that's not going to change depending on the setting. Like you're going to get what you're going to get. And I think that's something that, you know, that's, it's important to, recognize that it's important to understand that you know you don't have don't change who you are to try and appease others just be yourself and if they take it cool if they don't take it it is what it is i'm not gonna lose sleep over it yeah most definitely facts of all of that man um i'm gonna ask you this question man because when you came onto the scene man like two cents fc was something that you know we haven't really seen a whole lot of was a different vibe, a different feel to it. Speaking, speaking to you specifically, what is it about the Black Soccer Podcast that could be part of this whole marketing of soccer that can definitely help grow the game? Um, it's really just about perspective, right? Like everybody has their own unique perspective um, about the game, and that's really just what we wanted to do. Like the podcast started for me and Amobi to just kick shit and talk about soccer news you know, in the way that we like to like to kick it, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's evolved over time, but for the most part, we just wanted to share our perspective and, you know, share from the, the perspective of black, black people and a Moby as a black, you know, soccer pro, um, kind of giving those, those other insights that you may not get from, you know, somebody who's just on the journalist side. So that's, that's the main thing, just perspective really. Um, and trying to, bring your own unique take to it really ain't no science to it all right well, I'm, let me ask, ask you guys all this um when it comes to black soccer pockets like where do you feel like this boom kind of all started from because i'll probably say maybe three four years ago it won't know sarcasm it definitely won't know black podcasters or black writers or journalists definitely in the game of soccer so where do you feel like that whole movement boom from and where do you guys see it going to in the next couple of years. Going from great. <laughs> That's the facts. Straight up. You know, I'm, it, sure that, I'm sure there was some black, black podcast before him, but it wasn't visible to us. That's just um, the facts. Y'all, y'all are too kind. I was uh, going to say, I mean, like, uh, 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 go, go, go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree with Rox. Like, I didn't know any other black podcasters until the culture came out and then you kind of and then it's been growing and growing like yogi you're doing a podcast rocks you're doing a podcast l you have a podcast like it's just been growing so much and it was one of those that i just didn't know about it because kind of the same thing with black soccer supporter culture it i didn't know this was a thing until it was put out in front of me whether someone retweeted it whether someone put it on facebook whether you just watch an MLS game or whatever game and it's on there. It's like, where the hell did this come from? How long has it been there? So I think that's kind of the thing. It's just more, 
it's grown so much. And I think it's become more visible with the rise of people podcasting, with the rise of social media. And even if it took really shitty events, I think people realizing that black people have a voice and they should be amplifying it more often. As we saw last summer, as we saw the past couple months, people like elevating black voices is going to go a far way. So yeah, I would say the last couple of years, and I think it's only going to keep growing as people decide to take their approach into podcasting and people take their chances and get the confidence because they can see all the other ones that are out there. It's like, well, they're doing it. I can do it. I can at least give it a shot. Whether I want to continue it is a different question, but at least I know there are people that are doing it and doing it well. Right. Um, first of all, you guys are far too kind. Far, far, far too kind. Um, I, I think, of course, if you guys are pointing at me, I, I would actually point to Black Arrow. Um, you know, Aaron... Um, uh, and his guys out in Oakland, you know, I got put on to them about, uh, well, it's been about three years ago now. And actually right around this time, three years ago. And um, I got put on to them and immediately it was like, yeah, that's what we need. That's what needs to be, uh, be going on. And, you know, chop it up with, um, with those guys. And um, it was about like, all-star all-star um broke um that year uh Aaron had come down um the all-star game was here in Atlanta awesome vibes by the way amazing vibes um and we had a conversation like uh, during one of the parties and was like you know like we need to you know make sure that we amplify our, our voice here in Atlanta and it was uh me and uh Mary Ziegler she's the one in the continental tire commercials um, she's one of the partners with, uh, with me for the culture. And we were like, yeah, like, let's go ahead and do it. And I started thinking about it and I was like, how can we get that voice out there? And the first thing I thought of was just a podcast. Cause I, cause at the time there really wasn't a lot of people that, uh, that looked like us that were doing, that were talking soccer, period. And I want to change that. I wanted to make sure that we change that narrative that, Hey, Black people here are into soccer. If nothing else, that was always my my absolute mission statement. Like, yeah, we want to change that narrative that that people think that that black African Americans here are not into soccer. I'm like, no, we are. We're into it. We're we're influencing it. We're all we're all up in that shit all day long. And I think that without us actually talking about it, you'll never know. Like, like, like I said at the time, I think like you had only like. Charlie Davies and on the occasion, uh, Maurice to do talk soccer on TV, but like for the most part, you don't, you don't, you didn't have that regular uh, podcast mix, radio mix, you know, talking that shit on, on, on a daily basis and on, on a weekly basis. And I was like, Hey, why not us? You know, since then you've had banner pub and river city and four backwards and, and chop soccer. And like that, that, that voice is, is continuing to grow. And, I think that that only helps further further the 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 change that narrative that hey we're in the soccer and we're in soccer in multiple levels and hopefully you know people continue to fuck with it and there's even more more um more voices out there like I'm I'm still trying to get people out in L.A. to uh, 
to to, to pick up on it because I got, of course, there's plenty of people out in LA and there's plenty of people in San Francisco and, and Oakland. I'm like, yeah, like we need to 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 get those voices out there so that people know that hey, when I say that the culture is real, the culture is everywhere. That's that shit is real. Like we are everywhere, and hopefully, you know, as 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 time goes on, you know, we you know we we keep pushing pushing that pushing that boulder. Say hey. We end this. We end this. Like, hopefully, uh, you know, we're just all all a vessel that continues to build this shit to where we are. We are valued entities in this game, especially in this country where in a lot of cases we're not. And we need to do everything that we can to 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 move that to move that needle to where it's normal for for one of us to talk soccer, whether it's whether it's Aaron West, whether it's Rocks, whether it's uh, Joseph from Vanderpub, like any of us, like we need to the, to keep moving that shit forward. So that way, you know, this shit gets normalized. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, anything you guys want to add to that? Nah, man, well said. <laughs> definitely agree. You know, Greg was a man of many words. That's why he's the fact, spokesperson for uh, Black Soccer Twitter. Because he can't be me. It can be any one of us, man. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, you know. That's what we call him Don King. He's great at that. That's what we call him Don King. It could be any, any any one of us, you know. Like, it doesn't have to, you know, be me. You know, I'm I'm all about. I'm a big believer in if, if we can all eat, let's eat. And, you know. Whether it's whether it's you or River City, whether it's the Henny Derby, whether it's whether it's L, whether it's Rocks, whether it's anybody like, you know, we I think we all have um, a any of us who choose to get up in this has a responsibility to hopefully put this put this in a, in a better position than we left it, and uh, you know let's say just keep keep the keep the needle moving forward, and because I think that. Now that the now that the doors open, it's up to us to keep pushing that, you know, just bust through that shit and and make sure that people know that hey, we we here, we've been here, and we ain't going nowhere. So let's let's keep this shit moving. Man, I think that's a great point for us to end tonight's podcast. I want to say thank you to everyone that's watching live. Uh, I think we hit, I think the peak was like thirty, so that's kind of dope for our first ever live show. Um, definitely shout out to Greg, Kyle, L, uh, Rocks. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, real quick before we end, where can everyone reach out to you guys at and connect with you guys? Uh, well, I guess I'll go. Um, you can see my at down in my name right there at El Sharik. You may not be able to spell that, but um, definitely follow at, at Two Cents FC and at Two Cents Sport. Um, that's where we at most of the time. You can follow me at Kyle Coche, and for Featherstone, you can follow them. Um, I just got a little too quick. I think it was like FWD Featherstone. You gotta know that off the mind, man. You gotta know that. <sighs> Norwich is there. It's just there in my profile. It's there when I retweet it. I don't. I didn't know Ford backwards at at half the time. So. And if you haven't done it already, make sure you check out Kyle with the Independent Soccer Soccer Independent Supporters Council. 
he was he's been doing his thing on there, man. Maybe, like I said, Kyle, Kyle's a big dude, man. He's about to turn to Charlemagne. Call at him, man. <laughs> oh, I guess, I guess it's, um, of course, as all like, are you gonna do this with me, uh, Yogi? You guys said FTC, UTP. There you go. <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. We're not on TikTok, but um, but yeah, we got the new legs of the culture hoodies that are, that are out, shirts, cases, all, all that shit. But yeah. We'll be back with new episodes in February. We've been on break for it since like MLS Cup. So but yeah, we'll be back very shortly. We the, the countdown is officially on. But uh yeah. Keep up, keep up in the meantime. Yes, sir. Um, so I got a couple things going on uh right now. Chop Soccer Pod. That's our baby. It's me, Kenneth Kember, and Shanoa Green. So you can find that. On Twitter at Chop Soccer Pod, Instagram at Chop Soccer Pod. Um, if you want to follow Apollo Culture Club, that's where I have all my fresh, fresh soccer shit. That's on Instagram at Apollo Culture. Um, and we just push uh, Instagram posts to Twitter at underscore Apollo Culture. I think I don't use it that much, but yeah, ignore that. And if you want to follow me personally, I'll be tweeting about shit anyway at Rock Spontane is right there. And that's that. Thank y'all. I appreciate you, L. This was dope. Well, L, yeah, not L. <laughs> I want people to know that I, t- I told Rox like two years ago he did up on pods. Like <laughs> I, I, I told him this, and he, he said, No, nah, no, nah, it ain't me. I like, I told him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. Um, real quick before I show out my stuff, um, I just want to give a shout out to. Uh, Dysphoria United, they're a new podcast that talks about black women in the game of soccer. So make sure you check them out. Um, also, you got Black Fires out there, uh, Donald Wine, um, Ebony. That's a great yeah. one. Uh, there's one more that's slipping my mind. The Banter Pub. Uh, yeah. Definitely all great black voices all being amplified out there. So, um, oh, yeah. If you follow us and support us, definitely follow and support them. Um, and this whole podcast, even though we're talking about the marketing of soccer kits, it kind of involves just thing about amplification, just making sure that, you know, not only are black versus heard, but, you know, there's constructive stuff going on behind that. So, of course, you know, I'm your host as always, Elliot Barr. You can follow us at River City 93 um, Always, you know, you can support Can I Kick It? Um, you can be a subscriber for as low as $5 a month. If it helps out, it gives you better episodes. So, hey, you know, I'm on the teacher salary, so I can't do that much. Um, <laughs> also, um, we also have another podcast called River City 93. It's a little bit more focused on the Richmond Kickers. We'll love your support on that as well. So with that being said, guys, keep us on the guest. I will holler at you later.